Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. All right, well, don't forget to sign up for Harvest Palooza. It is a really fun time for our community. Um, and it's crazy actually seeing faces up there. You know, that's a 2017 video. So we have kids that were probably in like sixth or seventh grade and they're now going to like their junior, senior year. And it's just weird feeling, you know, like they aged great. Some people here didn't age so great, but uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but so what I wanted to say is, yeah, it is cool. Make sure you sign up for Harvest Fluza. It's a good time. So if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Matt. I am the youth pastor here at uh, Harvest Ridge. And so um, it is cool to be able to be up here and speaking with everybody today. Uh, and so I have to give a little bit of flack. So, you know, we have to make sure that we tell our kids department and everybody back there um, that I'm speaking today because we're actually going to end on time. That's how that works. So uh, <laughs> that's my joke for the day. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> but hey, so this is something, uh, this message um, it's not part of a sermon series or anything like that. It's actually something that I've been kind of working through myself. Um, and so I actually wrote this message um, dealing with something for myself. And I'm just hoping that it kind of applies to the people in the room. Is that cool with everybody? Amen. Cool. So we're going to go ahead and get into this. And I'm excited. Um, and so, yeah. Hope you don't mind listening to me preach it myself. Cool. So we are talking, um, this is a message I've called, uh, Moses was a failure. All right, Moses was a failure. And some of you may be sitting here and you're like, what? How dare you say that Moses was a failure? But here, I, I, have, I have a case to make. But first, I want to ask this. Have you ever felt like a failure? Have you ever felt like you mess up and you continuously mess up and then you mess up again and you mess up again and you just continuously feel like you can't do anything, right? I don't know, maybe like you have a project that was due for work and then you were late on it or um, I don't know, maybe you left little Timmy at the school for two hours because you forgot to go pick him up. Um, <laughs> that's never happened to anyone in this room, right? I'm, I'm certain. Um, or I don't know, maybe um, you were supposed to, oh, I got, I got one. Um, you set a budget every month and then you're looking at it and you're like, it is August 21st and I have blown this budget by $300 already. Like, you ever feel like, oh crap, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You guys feel that way? Like, you feel like you just mess up and then you mess up and you mess up and it just compiles, right? Or let's take a little bit of a twist on it. Have you ever promised to God that you wouldn't do that same thing again? And you say like, all right, that was the last time I'm done. I'm done with it. And then you turn around maybe a day later, maybe a few weeks later, you do it again. Maybe um, you betray those who are closest to you and you fail and then you say, I'm not going to mess up. And then you mess up again. Um, maybe you have planned Bible reading and prayer every single day. And then you miss a day or you miss five or you miss a month. You know what I mean? Um, there, there's so many different types of failure and there's so many different types of ways that we mess up. And so um, if I can just be honest with you guys for just a little bit, um, I have felt like that kind of recently. And so what happens is um, in our youth group often um, when I'm talking to students and when I'm working through something, I, um, especially when there's like it's something I call like a signature sin. It's that sin that you always go back to. It's like it almost has your name on it. You know what I mean? It just feels like you sign a contract and you have to struggle with that sin for forever. It's your signature sin. 
And oftentimes when you students are dealing with that same thing, um, what's happening is they have bad habits in their life and they need to drop those bad habits and they need to form new habits. And so what I do is I do something called a 63-day challenge. Um, and so if you don't know, habits are broken and formed over uh, periods of 21 days, three periods of 21 days to be specific. And so that's how our mind cycles. And so uh, what happens is I challenge them to 63 days of breaking old habits and forming new habits. So I'm pretty good idea, right? Well, this past camp season after high school camp, um, I had a, a group of boys that I was doing the 63 day challenge with. Um, and I joined them when I challenged someone to the 60, you know, 63 day challenge. Cause I sit there and I'm like, you know, I can't expect you to do something that I'm not going to do with you. Like I try to partner with our students. It's great an idea, except the summer, I don't, I think we went for like 11 to 12 days, and then I think I was in El Salvador. I don't know, my summer was all over the place. Um, but I think I was in El Salvador, and what ended up happening is we, you know, like when you first start something, you have like a fire under your butt, and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna do this, let's go, ah! And then a week goes by, two weeks go by, fire just kind of dwindles a little bit. You know, it, it starts just becoming coals. Well, what happened was I was away. I wasn't texting. They weren't texting because um, we were trying to keep updates and all that kind of stuff. And we got to like, I was in El Salvador and I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, sorry. I never described what the 63 day challenge is. I apologize. 63 day challenge is this. One Psalm a day, one book of Matthew a day. Um, this is what I challenged these boys to. Um, one psalm a day, one book of Matthew a day, and 10 minutes of prayer, and you stop completely cold turkey the temptation that is driving you, which means, you know, if um, anything related to that signature sin, you drop all of it. Does that make sense? So you have a goal in mind, sometimes like thinking of eternity of not doing that thing is like too overwhelming, but 63 days, that's that's a challenge worth doing. And then I buy them a steak dinner if they accomplish the 63-day challenge. It's a pretty good deal, right? All right, so all that to say, we have this 63-day challenge, we have it, and we get, and I'm in El Salvador, and I miss like day 11. I think it was like day 11 or day 12. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, I'm busy, I get it. I'll just read and do my prayer the next day. Like, you know, I'll, I'll just read two chapters, of Psalms and two chapters of Matthew, and then I'll do 20 minutes of prayer, right? So then I'm reading, I'm getting it done, but I miss like two more chapters, or sorry, no, no, I miss like the prayer time. So I read, and so I'm like, all right, so I have to do 30 minutes of prayer the next day, <laughs> then two chapters, but then I miss those chapters, so then I, it's compiling, so now I have to read four, four, and then I miss that day, so then now it's five, or you know, so now it's, I don't even know, I, I, I'm, I'm messing up. And it was like compounding. Does that make sense? Like my failure, because I, I think I had a pretty good reason to fail, right? I was, I was on a missions trip, but I still failed. I was still lacking. And, and what happened was I sat there and I was watching these Bible verses in this prayer time compounding. And I was watching these students who I was supposed to be doing this with, they were failing as well. And I'm sitting here and I'm just like, aren't I supposed to be the youth pastor? Aren't I supposed to be the example that's being set for these students? Aren't I supposed to be the one above anyone else who accomplishes this? And I felt like a failure because I couldn't even accomplish the challenge that I had set them to do. It kind of sucks, doesn't it? 
And so I've been dealing with this struggle of failure and trying to work through it. And I started thinking about someone in the Bible who I felt like was a failure. And that's how I came up with Moses as a failure. So if everyone would go ahead and stand in honor of God's word, I'm going to read a little bit. And then at one point, I might have you guys read with me, um, especially on the last verse. Um, but if you would just, uh, just read along with your eyes. All right. So Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them their sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you the things, I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, and I need everybody to read this out with me. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. What was that? Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. All right, you can go ahead and be seated at this time. Jesus, I pray that you would help us recognize our failures, and I would pray that you would help speak through this time, that uh, this sermon is not just for me, but that there would be ears to hear what you have to say and hearts that would be open to your message today. Thank you. Amen. So, what happens at the beginning of this little passage is we see... Uh, Moses making excuses. I'm slow of tongue. I don't speak very well. You know, my mouth doesn't move the way that my brain wants it to, right? Um, I think we all kind of deal with that at times, right? Except the Lord says, I will give you the things to say. You can go do this. That's no problem. I'll give you what you need to say. And then he says, pardon your servant. Please send someone else. He's making excuses, right? All right. Um, I, I want to give some context for this story. So I won't give a whole context of Moses, but so Moses is there and then he sees a bush that is burning, but not on fire or sorry, sorry, on fire, but not burning. Switch that. So he sees a bush that's not being consumed, but it is on fire. Not only that though, the bush starts talking. I think God wants to tell him something. You know what I mean? Like, like, could you imagine you're walking your dog down the road and then you're just like, all right, come on. And then all of a sudden the birch tree right next to you up in flames. And then all of a sudden you're like, Jeremy, Jeremy. And you're like, I think something's about to happen. You know what I mean? Like there, there should be like a consciousness of God wants to say something, right? So that's what Moses has. So not only is this fire on, or the, the fire on fire, the fire is on fire. No, not only is this bush on fire, but also it's speaking. Then God gave him the words to say. We, we don't see this right now. Um, I, it was it's way too long of a passage, but um, basically what God says is, you're gonna go back to Egypt and you're going to ask the Pharaoh to uh, pull the elders and then do sacrifices and that kind of stuff. And he literally gives him exactly what to say. So there's no excuse. Like he gave him a script. Does that make sense? All right. So God very clearly wants him to do something. Are we all on the same page? God wants him to do something. So burning bush, speaking bush, words to say. Not only that, but um, Moses once again makes an excuse and God says, all right, all right. If Pharaoh doesn't believe you, go ahead and take your staff, throw it on the ground, boom, it's a snake. Cool? So he, now he has a miracle of a snake that his staff turns into a snake and then he's like, yo, go over there, go over there. All right, cool. So he has this. 
But then Moses is still not convinced. So God, once again, gives him another miracle. He says, put your hand inside your cloak. So he puts his hand inside his cloak, comes out, and it's leprous, right? So it's a diseased hand. And then he says, go ahead and put your hand back in your cloak. He puts it back in, comes out, and it's good again. So, burning bush. Words to say. Bush is talking. Uh, not George W., but, you know, burning bush. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. So, and then on top of that, um, now he has two miracles to perform and still he has excuses. On our soccer team, uh, we have something called the crap bucket. And it is a bucket that has a poop emoji on it. And uh, Coach George, our varsity coach, says, if you have excuses, you can go put in the crap bucket because that's a bunch of crap. You know what I mean? And Moses just has compiling crap. He has excuse after excuse after excuse. And here's the thing, in my opinion, that makes him a failure. I'm, I'm just gonna be honest. When God gives you all the things that, that you need to go in a certain direction, he tells you what to do, he gives you the tools, and then you still have excuses, that's failing. That's not the only reason I say he's a failure though. All right, let's go ahead and look at Exodus 2. Moses kills a man. All right. I mean, does anyone qualify that as failing? I think I, I would. Um, even if it's for a good reason, still murder somebody. Numbers 20, Moses strikes the rock, trying to get water out of it after the Lord told him to speak to the rock. So, so now we see Moses' once again lack, lack of faith. He's uncomfortable with it. He strikes the rock. Now, if you don't know, there was an earlier uh, verse in which Moses was told to strike the rock. So Moses strikes the rock, water comes out. But this time it's different. God tells him to speak to the rock. Here's the thing. God, once again, is telling him what to do, and he's not brave enough. He doesn't have the courage to do it. To me, that's failing. Deuteronomy 32. Moses fails to make it into the promised land is what Deuteronomy talks about. If you think about this, Moses was the person who guided the Israelites out of Egypt, right? He, he's the one who, who was like, there's a promised land. We got something waiting for us. Let's go, let's go. And then he didn't even make it to the promised land. And actually, the generation that he was with didn't make it to the promised land either. Literally died. People died and didn't make it to the promised land. It wasn't it his job to get them into the promised land? Failure, all right? Exodus, <laughs> Exodus 18. Moses tries to govern all the Israelites. We're talking a lot of people. He tries to govern them by himself, all right? It takes his father-in-law to come and scold him. Now, I don't know if you guys realize how crazy this is, but if there's anyone who's married and has a father-in-law in the place, having your father-in-law tell you to do something, that's kind of like, Let, hear, hear me out, hear me out. Your wife says, Husband, I need you to go put handles on all of our cabinets. Husband, I need you to go put handles on our cabinets. Husband, I need to go put handles on our cabinets. And you go, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. She goes, all right, fine. I'll just go ask my dad to do it. Never mind, honey. I will do it right now, right here. <laughs> no, there's, there's just something different when, when the wife brings out the threat of a father-in-law doing it. It's like, this is my job. This is my house. All right. It's, like, he's a man, yes, but I'm the man of this house, all right? You will not disrespect me this way. <laughs> Moses gets his father-in-law to, or his father-in-law comes and scolds him, 
and says, you can't do this all by yourself. Why are you trying to be the judge? Why are you trying to deal with all these cases? You're going to burn yourself out. And also, you're not able to reach everybody. So out of this, Moses ends up creating the judges and, and, and gets people as representatives in, in their groups of 10 um, and 100 and 1,000 and you know 10,000. All right. So we see all this happen. Once again, though, Moses is being a failure, in my opinion. So if all you knew about Moses was the things I just talked about, would you guys consider him a failure? Yeah. That was his entire life, what I just talked about. Yeah. Would you? Yeah. Here's my question to you. Do you actually believe that Moses was a failure? No. No? Huh. So there's more to it then, right? There's more to Moses than his failures. Is that what, what I'm getting from everybody? Here's my question for you today. Do you see yourself as a failure? Do you see yourself by all the things that you've done wrong and you just totally neglect all the things that you've done right? All your successes. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly curious because it is so easy for us to get caught up in what's wrong with us and what's right with everybody else. This is like a big social media thing as well where we see people's highs in life, right? If you saw my summer, if you go on my Instagram or my Facebook, you sit there and you go, dude, he was in Madagascar, he was at camp, he was rolling around in the mud and throwing kids and I don't know, whatever. You know, like he was doing all these things traveling. But what you also don't see is you don't see the side where I'm like dragging my feet to get out of bed every morning because I'm so exhausted. Do you know what I mean? And every single person in this room has highs and lows. And oftentimes, social media only shows us our highs. And we compare our daily life with everybody else's highs. And, and, and that's a problem to me. And so what we see is we see Moses right now being compared by all of his failures. And there's a truth of it, which is Moses was not a failure. And so where do we see this, right? We see this in Hebrews 11, 24 through 29. All right, there's a key word that we're going to point out, and I need you guys to say it with me, all right? So it is by faith. So everybody say, by faith. All right, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I really like that because um, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Interesting. Okay, that's, not, that's a different sermon, though. Uh, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as, greater as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Once again, the disgrace for the sake of Christ, a greater value than Egypt, than treasures. <laughs> um, because he was looking ahead to his reward. What's this word? By faith, By faith he left Egypt... Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. What's the next one? By faith. By faith, he kept the Passover over the application of blood and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. What is it? By faith. By faith, the people who passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Does this passage name Moses' failures? No. It names his successes, right? But what is the cause of his success? Faith. By faith. Hold on. Is it his dashing good looks? No. Is it his, his, oh, his charisma, maybe? No. 
Is it his money? Maybe his wicked beard. <laughs> um, how about the car that he drives? How about how many, how about how many friends he had? No? Wait, wait, wait. So all these things, all the treasures that you could find in this world, that's not what were attributed to his faith. Or sorry, to his success. Faith was what was attributed. Does that make sense, everybody? So by faith, by faith, by faith. That's what we keep seeing. Here's the thing. Moses had his flaws. Moses had his failures. But he had faith. Even when his failure was not having faith, he still then had faith. Yeah. Sounds weird. I have a little, I don't know, just a little lesson. Um, can I get uh, Junior, Oli Junior? Can you come here for a second, bud? He has no idea I'm about to do this. <laughs> All right, here's my question. Would you trust me for a $5 McDonald's gift card? Uh, yes. Would you trust me without the $5? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's why I love you, Oli. Uh, all right, so if you trust me, you get this $5 gift card. Sound good? Yeah. All right, go ahead and put your heels on the back. So turn this way, right? All right, so what you're going to do is you're going to look straight ahead. When I tell you go, don't, don't drop early. I'm not ready yet. All right? And you're going to fall. You're going to do a trust fall, and I'm going to catch you, maybe. All right? Here's the thing. You need to know this beforehand. I have dropped people before. He said, yeah. <laughs> if I get my head busted open, you're paying for the medical bills. All right, he said, if he gets his head busted open, I'm paying for the medical bills. <laughs> I kind of thought that was the purpose of the McDonald's gift card, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> he said, nah, all right. All right, so look straight ahead. When I tell you go, I want you to trust me. I want you to fall back and see if I'll catch you. Maybe. All right, ready? Go. Yeah! <laughs> Hold on. Come on up here. All right, so, Oli, what did you do to stop yourself from falling? Trusting you. He trusted in me. That's what he just said. He trusted in me. Thank you, Oli. I appreciate it. So, unless he was Spider-Man, he was probably going to hit that ground pretty hard if I didn't catch him, right? Like, you know, do a twist and superhero pose, you know, whatever. Um, here's the thing. He did nothing besides have faith in me. And here's the thing. Like I said, I literally have dropped people before. I'm, I'm being totally honest. Um, not with a trust fall. I, you guys know Dirty Dancing, like the scene from Dirty Dancing. So I was at a wedding one time. Sorry, this is a total, <laughs> this is a total side note. But um, I was at a wedding one time, and one of my friends, she, or everybody was like, Matt, do the dirty dancing thing. And I'm like, all right. So then she runs up, and she has a dress on. And she jumps, and I go to lift her, and I get her right, right here, and she feels her dress come up, so she reaches back and grabs and pulls. The problem is her weight goes backwards when she does that, and I just throw her on the ground, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Literally, she just, boom. And I was like... <laughs> so good job trusting me, Oli, because I've thrown people on the ground for less, all right? So... No, here's the thing. I'm imperfect. I, yeah, like, I could have dropped him. There could have been a mistake that happened. But still, he had faith. Here's my question. 
Why, why, why do we continuously struggle with our faith in a God who is perfect and we trust in things that are imperfect all the time? We, we have faith in things that are flawed. We have faith in individuals that mess up over and over and over again. And we struggle and we doubt our faith in God who has not let us down. We may not understand him. We may not always get why he's doing the things that he's doing or why he's allowing things to happen. But he has not let us down. That's my question for you today. Where is this lack of faith coming from? Why does our failure, why does seeing failure take us away from that faith? And what I wanted to say today, and all this with Moses and all these different things, thinking about faith, it leads me to this conclusion or this idea that faith, when it comes to God, is not about perfection, but it's actually about direction. And I'll say that again. Um, Can you go ahead and throw that up there for me? Faith is not about perfection, but about direction. Does God want us to be perfect and without sin? Absolutely. Why would he not? But then at the same point, I think God fully understands what sin does in our lives. And he understands that at times we're going to be imperfect. We're not going to do things the right way. We're going to mess up. And what we need to do is we need to continue walking in his will and continue in the direction that he's placed us in. Does that make sense to everybody? So it's not about perfection. It's about direction. And so um, I have, here's, a, here's a little demonstration, or a story. Um, so if you don't know, I played soccer my entire life, um, went to college, played soccer, all that kind of stuff. My parents did not play soccer at all, ever, all right? If I was relying on them to give me expertise and experience and knowledge, they had none to give me. I'm just gonna be honest, all right? They're sitting here, yes, yes, all right? Um, There's, like soccer games at like a high school level are typically pretty quiet and you can just hear that one parent like, like, let the kids play ref, you know, like that kind of thing. But also you also hear parents sometimes be like, get into position. You know, they're like yelling. They think that they know everything. They're like screaming. And especially at the younger level, like you get those parents who think that they know everything, right? Well, my parents were not those parents, fortunately, because they didn't know it. They didn't know the things, right? Here's the thing. What they did teach me, what they did have expertise in is how to lose and how to win, how, how to be encouraging and not prideful, how to, um, I don't know, show up on time. Or you know what they did? They bought me equipment. They drove me to practices. They showed up and supported me for all my games. Hmm. So you mean to tell me that their lack of expertise, even though they lacked perfection, they had the direction of love. They actually loved me through my lack. They loved me through their lack. They loved me and showed me support. And so what I want to encourage you all today is that faith is not about perfection. It's about direction because you don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to be perfect in order to still do the will of God. You don't have to have everything knuckled down to where you sit there and you say, there's, there's nothing going to move on this ship. There's, there's nothing. Everything's tied down perfectly in order for God to still use you because it's about faith. So, Moses was an imperfect leader. He messed up and he failed all the time, yet we do not call him a failure because of his faith. 
We call him su successful because through his flaws. And how often do we hold this standard for ourselves? How often do we see all of our flaws and still count ourselves successful because God's able to use us? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through five ways to be faithful through our failures, all right? So five ways to be faithful through our failures. First, you have to realize that failing does not make you a failure. This is a big, this is a big one. Failing does not make you a failure. It is very easy for us to identify with the things that we do wrong. It's very easy. Here's my question for you though. If I eat salad for a meal, am I a vegan? <laughs> am I? Oh, I have a better one, I have a better one. So a few years ago, if you don't know, my wife's family is Greek, all right? So we went to Greece um, and they had, there was a Facebook, it's a long story. There's a Facebook photographer. They did like a magazine. And they're like, we need a couple that's willing to do some, some, photo some photos during these days in Santorini, Greece. And my mother-in-law signed my wife and I up. We were um, not married at the time. Um, and we took like wedding-esque photos or whatever. Anyways, all that to say, we got paid to be in photos, which means I'm a professional model. <laughs> I'm a professional model. I can identify. It happened. It happened. Did it not happen? Yeah. No. I can't sit here. I can't put on my resume that I'm a professional model because then I'm going to show up and I'll be like, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's, that's a bad idea because just because I do something doesn't mean that I am that thing. Yeah. Just because I am one way doesn't mean that that's who my identity is. Yeah. And here's the thing. We have identity that's found in Christ. You are a son and daughter of the living God who's right. most high. And, and I don't want you to sit here and identify by your failures and by the things that you've messed up on because that's not who God holds you to be. God has called you to be something else. So failing does not make you a failure. That makes sense, everybody? Yeah. All right, second thing, miss one day, not two. This is a, a copyright, I stole it from Pastor Kevin, all right, all right. I'm plagiarizing this, miss one day, not two. What does this mean? If you fail on Tuesday, what do you not do on Wednesday? You don't fail again. You're always better the next day. That, that's a big difference because Remember what I said earlier about how it was like compiling, how like one day I'd miss Bible reading and then it'd have to be four and then I'd miss the next day and then it'd have to be six scriptures. Like that is a lot of, like that is hard work and honestly it just burns down on you. But if I miss one day, I don't miss the second day. I don't have to make up for all the things that I've mess, messed up, but I do have to be better than I was the previous day. Does that make sense? All right. So. Um, this is especially important for that scripture reading. If you miss Tuesday, don't miss Wednesday. If you miss Sunday, don't miss Monday. Does that make sense? All right, third thing, fail upwards. This sounds weird, but fail upwards. Uh, can you throw up that graph for me real quick? All right, this is a perfect graph. Sure, it's not a perfect graph. Here's the thing, where's the direction the graph is going though? It's going up, all right? Graph is going up. Are there low points in that? Yes. Are there high points in it? Yes. yes. That's life. 
Life happens. You, you have successes and you have failures. Here's the thing. Be better than you were the day before. That's right. Have your failures be higher than when you started off. If you start off on rock bottom and you continuously trend up, the next time you fail, you won't hit rock bottom again if you're constantly trending up, right? That lowest point, that big dip right there, is it on the bottom line? No, no it's not because when we continue to move upwards, when we do fail, it's not as big of a deal as long as we're continuously moving up. Does that make sense? So we fail upwards. Yes. Cool. Fourth thing, this is actually probably one of the biggest things that I'm gonna to say today. Take ownership. Yes. Okay. Take ownership, and this one will preach a whole nother sermon. We have a problem in our world where we put blame on everybody else. We, we have something that we do and we sit there and go like, well, if you would have done this and you would have done this, then I wouldn't have had to do this. That is, that is bull. It, it, is, it is not a good way because here's the thing, I can't change how other people act. I can only change how I act and how I react. All right? So once again, don't change how other people are acting. Change how you act. Take ownership. Take ownership. That means that you take responsibility and ownership both to God and also to responsible people around you. Yes. All right, I'll be honest with you. When I was a teenager, like most teenage boys, I had a very big struggle with porn, all right? Um, it's a common thing that a lot of people have, um, and I was actually shown it at a very young age. That's actually kind of crazy when it comes to porn. Most people don't find it themselves. They're shown it by someone else. And what happened was I was 16 years old, and I remember sitting in a car, and with my dad, and we were driving to, I think, a soccer practice, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Dad, I think I'm addicted to porn. Try to tell that to your dad, not just your pastor, all right? Like, your dad, who is a pastor? Oh, that was a fun conversation. I was so, I was literally shaking. I was shaking, and honestly, my life changed because of it, because A, there was trust built between my dad and I, but also B, um, I now had an accountability partner. I had someone who I could talk to, and actually we still have conversations to this day about our struggles and the things that we're going through. And what I want you guys to realize is that when you take ownership, it's not just ownership to yourself, it's ownership to the people around you. Tell your pastor. If it's me, it's me. If it's Pastor Kevin, it's Pastor Kevin. Tell your life group leader. Tell your life group. Things that, that's why we have life groups, right? To do life together. Um, maybe tell your spouse. Maybe tell your best friend who will hold you to the same standard. Don't just tell people who have a different standard than you. If people have worldly standards, they don't have the same measure. That's good. That's but when you tell people in the body of Christ, there's a difference that's made. So there's this guy named Terry Crews. You guys ever heard of Terry Crews? All right, love that guy. He's awesome. Old Spice commercials, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, everybody hates Chris. Um, you know, like, that $4.69, you know. Um, have you guys ever seen Everybody Hates Chris? Yeah, like that is my favorite thing because he'd sit there and be like, that orange right there, that is $2.39 that you are losing, you know? And I, anyway, so love, love Terry Crews. And he does that like peck dance, like, right? I can't do it. <laughs> I can do it with my hands, you know? Uh, all right, all that to say, if you don't know this about Terry Crews, he is a devout Christian, all right? He is a devout Christian. He is very open about it. What you may not know, I was listening to a podcast recently in which he was talking uh, to um, Carrie Neuhoff, Neuhoff, all right? And so they're doing an interview 
and he's talking about his upbringing and that kind of stuff. And then he was talking about how he and his wife had been married, or they've now been married 30 something years. And they had been married 20 when this happened. And he had been shown porn at a young age and he struggled with the addiction um, his entire adult life. And what happened was he had a moment of weakness 20 years into marriage, 20 years into marriage, in which he went on like a binge. Like one weekend, he went, just went off the rails. He ended up cheating on his wife with a masseuse. I won't even talk about the Browns. Um, and so, <laughs> all right. But he ended up cheating on his wife with a masseuse and then said, I'm taking this weekend, I'm taking these things that I've done to the grave with me. I'm never telling a single person. I'm never telling a single soul. So like 10 or 11 years go by and he is now carrying the secret with him. And finally, one day on the phone with his wife, they're states away and she goes, who is this Terry Crews that I'm talking to? What are you holding back from me? What do you not want to tell me? And so over the phone, Terry Crews told his wife about his porn addiction and also about how he cheated on her. And they have kids, by the way. He cheated on her, betrayed his kids, betrayed his marriage. And then they kind of separated. They, like, they, they weren't divorced, but he wasn't allowed to be at home. Um, he wasn't allowed to really be involved with many things. And he got angry, right? He's Terry Crews, right? He's, he's, he makes money. He can get girls. He can have anything that he wants. How dare this woman put these things on him? He, he should be able to do what he, what he wants. And then eventually he got to the point where he sat there and said, no, I'm the one who messed up. He had to take ownership for what he did. And actually what he did is he went into rehab and he went into um, a counseling thing in California where a bunch of pastors and, and people, you know, stars and stuff go. And he did like 24-7 counseling, um, like I'm talking like every hour of the day he was doing different things and he um, started trying to repair the damage that he had with his family. And now he and his wife, I believe, are about four years into trying to make it work again. Now that's not everybody's situation, I understand that. But also at the same point, like he had to take ownership. If he's not willing to take ownership and step out and say, I'm the one who messed up, then he's gonna continue to fail. His life is actually going to become a failure then. Does that make sense? So, you have to take ownership. That's what changes things. The fifth thing, and our last thing, is that realize that Jesus is faithful to us. Realize that Jesus is faithful to us. How are we faithful through failure? Realize that Jesus is faithful to us. Hebrews 3. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. So Moses was faithful to, to God's house, right? He was like a servant. To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Have you guys ever had a car or a house that you bought when you're the owner? You have more responsibility over it, right? Because there's no one else that's going to come bail you out. There's no one else that's going to come you know, do those things for you because it's yours. It's your ownership. So Christ is an owner, right? And we are his house. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We're the, we are the house that God has staked his claim in. We are the house that, that God puts his trust in. And here's the thing. We 
don't need to be perfect, but we are owned by Christ and that makes him faithful to us. Because when we follow in his direction, we don't have to be perfect because he has an abundance of grace and mercy that oversteps anything that we could ever do. But we still have to walk in this direction. He has a personal stake in each and every person's life in this room. He has personal relationships and personal love for every single person. And does he want to see you fail? No. But is he with you when you fail? Absolutely. So, realize that Jesus is faithful to us. We can be faithful even when we fail, just like Moses. So, in conclusion, don't allow hopelessness and failure to identify as your, or to, to dictate your identity. Don't allow failing to become who you are. You're not a failure. And here's the thing, you need to trend upwards. You need to be better than you were the day before. So that's why I'm gonna issue a challenge to anyone in the room who wants to do it with me. We don't have to have a massive group text or anything like that, but I'm gonna issue a challenge to anyone who has a habit that they wanna break and has new habits that they wanna form. I'm gonna issue the 63-day challenge to everybody in this room. I did the same thing to first service. Um, what this challenge is gonna be, is it's gonna be one book in John. I'm, I'm gonna limit it down, no Psalm, unless that's what you wanna do on the side. But first book in John, and we read a chapter a day. All right, when you get that, when you get further on, when you, um, you, go to a, or you go to Acts after that, right? So we keep moving. So one book in John. Second one is 10 minutes of prayer. So you do one book in John, 10 minutes of prayer, and then also you drop and you abstain from that signature sin that you have. That means anything that's related to it. So if it is a porn addiction, let's say it is something important, you don't click on anybody's profile when you see someone that you think is attractive on Instagram or Facebook. Um, it means that you don't go through everybody's page when uh, you see them on TikTok or whatever it is. Let's say it's gambling. Um, you don't just not go to the casino, you also don't go online on any of those websites in which you might be tempted to do that. You stay away from the temptation as a whole in order to break that. Does that make sense? So that's the challenge, and it starts today. So if you wanna do it, start today. But not only that, and know that I'm doing this with you, but not only that, if you do fail, what do we do? We fail upwards and we're better than we were the day before. Does that make sense? We're better than we were the day before. Form a new identity, challenge yourself to be better than you were. Sound good? Can I pray for everybody? Cool. Jesus, thank you so much that even when we fail, you have mercy and grace for us that is abundant. Lord, thank you that you take ownership for us. And Jesus, right now, I pray that you give the, the strength and the commitment to be better than we used to be. Lord, I pray that you would give us um, the giftings to follow your direction, to follow your path, but also, Jesus, that when we do miss the mark, when we are not perfect, when we do sin, I pray that we would, that we would let it go, that we would drop those burdens, and that we would leave the past behind us. Those things that were holding us down, I pray that we would drop them at your feet, that we would worship you and find our identity in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I ended up going about two minutes over time, so I was wrong um, earlier, but what I do want to say is please do this challenge with me if that's what you feel, and uh, yeah, I, I will be praying for everybody, and I'm excited to do it. Sound good? All right, well, you are dismissed. Thank you, and I pray that uh, the Lord would keep you and bless you.